Right. Well, hello, Carol. Hello, Leslie. It's really nice to see you. It's really nice to see you too. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking today with Dr. Carol Sherwood, and I'm so happy to be able to have this conversation. We became acquainted about a little less than a year ago, I think, mm -hmm. somewhere around then, when you were working on a report on politicization of, of therapy and therapy education with Dr. Kirsty Miller. And um, that's been a really interesting, that's that what, what has been brought forth through that report has been really interesting. And you've also contributed to the uh, the cynical therapies book as an author, and um, when I was speaking with uh, Dr. Kirsty Miller, we touched very briefly on um, on CBT and some issues around that, which that it was new to me to think that that was controversial. And I've since come, I've since spoken with some students, and I've learned that it has become very controversial recently. Um, and so you offered to talk a little bit about that with me and share some insight. And I wonder if uh, first, uh, first, I'd love to talk with you about that. And I don't, if you don't mind, could you start and just sort of introduce yourself and tell a little bit about how you, uh, your work and how you've come to be where you are with this? Sure, of course, Leslie. No, that'd be a great pleasure. Um, so I'm actually retired or semi-retired now, um, clinical psychologist. And um, I actually trained quite late in life. And uh, this was a message I wanted to send to some of uh, the students who are really worried at the moment. I didn't actually um, train until I was 48. And I'd had quite a few careers in the entertainment industry and uh, working with children with Down syndrome and so on before then. So I came to it late and, and I started my training, I suppose it must have been about 2001. Um, and when I finished my training, um, my particular area of interest was physical health conditions, uh, things like chronic pain and so on. And I, I went to work in a, a London hospital, a teaching hospital, where I worked with people with HIV and then subsequently cancer and palliative care. Um, and I really found that incredibly rewarding work. And I actually retired I think it was 2013, and went on to run my own practice. And I thought that I'd done with psychology, really. Um, and I retired, I was baking cakes, I was gardening, <laughs> things like that. And then 2020 happened. And, and it was actually seeing what was happening to Kirsty Miller, um, because she was raising concerns with the British Psychological Society, that there was no debate uh, about them introducing a politicised agenda. Um, and she she actually wrote a, a letter to the psychologist, which is the journal of the British Psychological Society, and it was taken down because of the huge um, uproar that it caused amongst activist psychologists. Um, and that's the point at which I got involved because I saw this happening. I was absolutely appalled. I could not believe that people who called themselves clinical psychologists could behave in the way that they did, slurring people, the language that they used. And so that's what's drawn me in. And I'm now very active in Critical Therapy Antidote, which I know that you are too, Leslie, as I think most of, most of us are now. Um, and so I'm trying to do my bit um, as much as I can to, to, to try and combat some of this and, and, and try and be able to have these open conversations like I'm having with you about the difficulties that are happening because all the doors are closed now. It's very difficult to have these conversations. It's another reason why we wrote the book um, to try and uh, raise awareness in the public uh, sphere of what's going on here. 
I think that's very noble at this point to bring it out and and to you and you're coming out of a comfortable retirement baking cakes and and gardening, which sounds so lovely and uh, and yet feeling called back into this. Yeah, I, I I don't feel quite as courageous as you, Leslie, because I think you know people like you, Leslie, and we have. Um, I don't know whether you know of Amy Gallagher and James Esses in this mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. uh, both of them are psychotherapy trainees who put their careers on the line to make protests about about what is happening uh, in their professions. So I think all of you are incredibly courageous and I'm lucky I'm not somebody that can really be canceled anymore. And I suppose that does give me the ability to try and fight back a bit and um, you know, sort of let people know what's going on without fear of what might happen to me and my career. That's something that Val Thomas mentioned as well when I spoke mm. with her, that sense of being uncancelable and having mm having some security. I, I have, I sort of felt like that when I started this as well, because I felt like the internet is this illusory world. And I had already just already decided that I wasn't going to pursue licensure prior to starting these conversations. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's, it is, it is an interesting um, time to enter this conversation. It's an interesting conversation yes. to have. And, and when you said that you were sort of shocked at the, that these were, these were psychologists and counselors who were behaving in this way. That's, that's been a real, that's, that's made such a stark impression on me as well. Yeah. Like I couldn't believe that I was in an applied psychology program where I was hearing mm. the kinds of things that I was hearing. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing though, is that that program that I was in until, until very recently uh, seemed to really celebrate CBT. That was one of the, modalities that was that we talked about most it was it, it ran as a thread through a lot of the the teachings I think it's because it fits very well with the medical model in a lot of ways it fits really well with insurance billing and being able to create smart treatment plans for clients and patients and CBT is a is a nice um a tidy modality for that I guess and so um, I was in school as recently as last, um, I guess last summer was the last time I took classes and it, I wasn't hearing any controversy around this, but recently I spoke with actually an Antioch student who reached out to me because of their concerns with the program. And um, she echoed this, that now it's very much a buzz in the program that CBT is this harmful and it's becoming passe in in the way that it's it's looked at it and, and i'm kind of surprised at how rapidly that seems to have taken on and what what insight do you have around this and what's going on with cbt well i was surprised too um leslie and i think it was only when i started working with kirsty on the report and we were looking into literature to see mm -hmm. you know how is how has this come about you know what what is there out there that we can find um and kirsty came across um an article on a website um which talked about um epistemic violence and cbt and i thought what do you mean so the theory of knowledge is violent and and I was already aware I don't know whether you've come across Nick Haslam's papers an um, Australian psychologist no, who talks about concept creep um, mm -hmm. and harm inflation mm -hmm. which I think we've all seen people talking about trauma they don't actually referring to something like post-traumatic stress disorder which has got very fixed 
criteria mm-hmm. um you know you actually have to have experienced um or feared that you were going to die in a mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. um but now it's sort of been downgraded so that even um thinking that you've been bullied or you read a a word that you don't like in a book mm-hmm. is trauma okay mm-hmm. so yeah. i thought epistemic violence i wonder if that sort of fits into that category so i read the article and and i made a few notes about what it why cbt was being accused of epistemic violence and i think the whole thing ties in with um this critical social justice having an anti-scientific view it's very mm-hmm. it accuses um the science that underpins our clinical psychology because it's a scientific discipline um it it accuses it of being weird you know western educated industrialized rich and democratic i haven't heard that acronym before oh, yes. that's interesting they refer to it as weird okay you know? it's obviously been very carefully thought mm-hmm. out um and also they keep talking about you know eurocentric knowledge and and okay so what what does this all mean actually um and the argument seems to go that um because the epistemology kind of rationalism and empiricism come from the enlightenment period when people who were had power at that time um were said to be imposing this ideology well i mean we think about uh, critical social justice as an ideology but the idea that somehow western knowledge was superior to all other knowledges mm-hmm. so um I think Spivak, who, who uh, she's an Indian post-colonial theorist, talked, I think she wrote a book called Can the Subalterns Speak? So this is somebody who's marginalised and oppressed. And, and she says epistemic violence is the process by which non-Western methods or approaches to knowledge are obstructed by the imperialist Western understanding of knowledge. So okay. there's an immediate tension there that um, you know, non-Western ways of knowing, if you like, are being suppressed. They're not they're, they're considered inferior in some way to the Western ways of knowing, which come from colonialism and imperialism. And CBT is seen as being one of those theories, if you like, one of those approaches. It's rational. It's empirical. You know, it's evidence based. And so it's problematic. Um, And one of the main issues that um, activists seem to have with it is that the idea that it corrects people of colour's ways of knowing, if you particularly think about lived experience. So objectivity, if you imagine in a a CBT session what, what you were doing, because CBT is interested in objectivity and being able to look at somebody's subjective experience and step back and say, okay, are there other ways of looking at this situation, you know, um, that might actually be more helpful for you, uh, or might actually be more truthful. Um, But because objectivity is viewed as oppressive, as is Mm -hmm. science and Western science, and now CBT, um, the idea that you might question a person of colour on whether their subjective experience could be perhaps a little off the mark, Um, invalidates the lived experience of people of colour and what is said is that CBT therefore protects oppressive systems in the West. Are you following this? (laughs) I'm hoping I'm making sense here. Yes, yes and I I think that that's um, it's one of the things that 
I don't know if it's been said, but like, I can understand how a little bit of this controversy could be uh, in American psychotherapy, maybe because there's this, um, you know, this mix of people from different cultures, all blending into one country. I mean, it's a country that's such a, um, a mishmash of, of different cultures, but you're in the UK and why would it be wrong to have Western thinking in, in Eurocentric? Why is it wrong to be Eurocentric in, in Europe? Why is that even a, a question? I, I'm just curious about that. How is that I, I controversy think, there? Okay, well, I think part of it's imported from the States, okay. but I think another part is that we do have a very multicultural society here in the UK. And for many years, I think a lot of uh, people from minority groups have felt that clinical psychology in particular, which includes CBT, I suppose, mm -hmm. is very white, very dominated by white middle-class women like myself. And I think many of us have agreed with that and said, actually, it does need to be more diverse. Mm -hmm. um, and so the doors have been opened uh, far more in the last few years to, to minority groups. And that's excellent. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I applaud that. I think that's mm -hmm. brilliant. But some of those people, I believe, um, have an agenda, which is an activist agenda, and, and have felt quite sore about well understandably about perhaps racism that they've experienced in the past and it feels like um things like cbt are just seen as part of the whole whiteness structure mm -hmm. um, because they are scientific uh in their approach so i think it's a, probably a mixture of things it's the being exported from the states mm -hmm. it's our multicultural society which is actually very tolerant um, there's just, you wouldn't believe this, there's just been um, a report, I think it's King's College London, that shows that the UK is amongst the most tolerant of countries in the world. Mm. Mm. You wouldn't believe it from what's being said about it. Um, so so I think, yeah, it's a bit of activism. It's a bit of importing um, and, and a bit of, you know, people feeling aggrieved that they haven't been given a chance before. And, and I understand that, but I'm not sure that doing this and taking this this kind of way of trying to deal with this is the most helpful way to deal with it and i i can understand that as well and we the idea of having a tolerant society where people can get along across culture of course i agree that that's um you know a, a very good thing to strive towards mm -hmm. and yet their own argument the argument that we hear from the csj people mm -hmm. is that we should celebrate indigenous culture and if the european and, and dare i say the white european is the indigenous culture of like the uk for instance mm -hmm. how is how do they make the argument that that is something that needs to be overridden by something else isn't that colonialism in and of itself and maybe i'm getting too deep into this Loop no, and, you're and... not, Leslie, because I mean, that's a really interesting point you make, because um, when I knew I was going to talk to you, I, I found this excellent piece in a magazine called The Critic, which we have in this country. I don't know whether you have it in the States. Mm -hmm. And there was an article by a man called Patrick Porter, and he was making he was talking about decolonization and he was making exactly this point. Decolonization itself is a Western concept. You know, it's actually you. Know, 
how would it be possible for the activists who are questioning um, the kind of science, Western science that we have, how would it be possible for them to do this if they didn't have that scientific basis to draw upon? You know, the ability to, to verify things, the ability to falsify things, the ability to carry out research in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I think there are some people who've gone down the decolonizing route who also feel very uncomfortable about this because they think actually this is a western concept too and and like you say maybe there is a sense in which the colonization is going in the opposite direction critical social justice is colonizing psychology and psychotherapy does that there, yeah, yeah, that that is that is thinking along the same lines here. <laughs> it seems like there are a lot of contradictions, even more, you know, as as you go through it, there are more and more. And I guess that makes sense when you're talking to an ideology that that equates rationality with something to be to be what do they say deconstructed? Deconstructed, so, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, that's interesting, and I so um, I know I kind of took you on a tangent there but um cbt though uh, as you say it's something that's that's designed to sort of take a more uh, objective view of an issue and ask questions and and uh, you talked about how that can when and and it's not just cbt you know it, you would use that with any client it wouldn't just be a client of, of particular demographics it would be useful for lots of people in lots of situations where we have thought distortions, cognitive distortions that are causing us anguish or, or frustration or difficulty in our lives. Um, and can you give some examples of why this is being problematized by the those that would prom problematize things? I think it's because it's seen as victim blaming. Um, I think it's because if you think about this, maybe I should give you an example. I'll give you an example from the chapter that I've written, because I think this is quite a good one. And I'm sure you'll be aware of the scenarios that um, when you're working uh, using CBT, you, you can give clients a, a scenario to kind of think about so that they can maybe come up with some alternative ways of looking at things. So in the book, I give an example of there's a, um, a friend that you see walking down the street. This is a white woman. She's walking down the street on the other side of the street and you wave at her to try and catch her attention, but she doesn't respond. She just carries on walking. So you ask the question of the client, you know, what would go through your mind? How would you feel about that? So some people would say, well, <clears throat> I'm really worried about that. I'm quite anxious because I thought she was my friend. And, and now I'm worried that she's actually deliberately ignoring me. And you'd go home and you'd dwell on it and you'd you know, be really, really worried. Or somebody else might get really angry and say, how dare you do that? You know, that's a really racist thing to do. You know, if, if you're a person of color, she's deliberately ignored me and you get really angry and you'd begin to develop a grievance. You know, why do I bother talking to white people at all? So suppose you subsequently discovered through a mutual friend that this woman that you'd seen had just come out of a hospital appointment where she'd been diagnosed with a serious illness what would go through your mind then now I think what would go through my mind is oh my goodness no wonder this poor woman was so distracted and and so full of her worries about her health she wouldn't possibly have noticed me waving across the other side of the street that would be the charitable conclusion that you'd come to mm -hmm. wouldn't it? but in the chapter because I put critical race theory in the therapist's chair 
basically, in other words, to see what its its worldviews are and how it thinks. Critical race theory thinks, no, 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 because it's looking for raci- racism everywhere, this has to be a racist incident. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether the intention was not there, whether this woman, you know, intended to ignore or not, and because they didn't have the intention, they were completely wrapped up in their own world. It's the impact that it has, mm-hmm. you know. So their lived experience is that this person ignored me and she was being racist because perhaps if a white friend had been across the side of the street she might have come over and talked to them so you jump to that conclusion mm-hmm. there are all these cognitive distortions coming up mind reading you know sort of black and white thinking uh, catastrophizing all these cognitive distortions now in in the chapter i try and and suggest to critical race theory well you know what about this and they were they're not budging because they see that as a microaggression and they will not budge because it's such a fixed and rigid way of viewing the world. Everything is viewed through a racist lens. And the problem with that, and, and you could probably see this coming, Leslie, and um, Jonathan Haidt has pointed this out, is that actually, how do you do psychotherapy? How do you do CBT with somebody who thinks that even that sort of questioning about different perspectives is a microaggression? So I, I, can you say, I think this is why this um, anti-CBT movement, I mean, I know there has been a lot of anti-CBT feeling over years from, from other um, therapeutic approaches, but in this particular instance, critical social justice activists are seeing this as a victim-blaming, um, you know, colonial, um, really kind of rather nasty uh, approach to working with people, which is denying their experiences of racism. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it it's, it's, so the alternative is that it's always all about me and it's always all about my, uh, my perceptions. And this, this makes me think of the, the fundamental attribution error, which yes. is, you know, where uh, a, a mistake that somebody else makes or some, some infraction that somebody else makes is based on, we, we, attribute that to their character Mm. and if but if we make a mistake it's our circumstance or it's it's not it's not our character it's just me making a mistake um and um, i i have this game that i've played with my kids forever um where we when we're driving if somebody does something rude in traffic is drives too fast or cuts us off or something we make up a story about why that person might have done that instead of getting mad at that person we say well um you know, his dog just puked in his car and he's really upset. He's, he needs to get somewhere quick. Or we, you know, we make up some story about what's going on in that person's life, which could explain bad, bad, what seems like bad behavior to us instead of just thinking, oh, he's just a jerk. Exactly, so, Leslie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and isn't that a such a much more charitable way of viewing, giving people the benefit of the doubt, not rushing to judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can do the same. I mean, you maybe you're on the tube and somebody treads on your foot. Mm-hmm. Um, one done underground, they tread on your foot, and then you see they've got a white stick. You know, you, you kind mm-hmm. of have to, you have to kind of think maybe they're having a really bad day, and mm-hmm. just give them the benefit of the doubt. But there mm-hmm. is no room for that in critical race theory and critical social justice. There's no room for giving people the benefit of the doubt. It's very punitive, mm-hmm. very rigid, and and the whole idea. If you juxtapose that with CBT, CBT is looking for perspectives, isn't it? 
mm. it you know, takes you up in a sort of helicopter view of, and so that you can actually look down and see these different perspectives. And, and that's what I really like about it. But this is what they like least about it, because there is only one lens through which you see the world. And that's the racist lens, mm -hmm. which is so limiting and inevitably leads to division, doesn't it? Because if you imagine what kind of conversation uh, you might have with that poor woman who's just been diagnosed with a serious illness, well, you're just a racist. What is that person going to think? What is it mm -hmm. going to do to people's relationships and friendships if they're always being accused of racism and and the, and the person who's being accused feels like they are walking on eggshells all the time? It's not exactly a recipe for social cohesion, is it? It's quite the opposite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. The CRT, uh, I, it's stunning to me that it's being taught in therapy training, in counselor training, this stuff. I mean, I, I found this so surprising mm. that they're actually teaching um, counselors mm. to disregard white women's tears, for instance. Yes. And so that means that you're supposed to look at a... a I was taught this. This was said in a class to me that you're supposed to look yeah. at a white woman crying yeah. and feel some resentment because their tears have been overvalued. And I immediately I thought, well, what if she's coming in because her father died or or she's in the middle of a divorce or she got that diagnosis that you're talking about still like yeah. that individual is supposed to be yeah. somehow diminished like her feelings. You're you're supposed to calcify yourself against that as a therapist. Yeah. As it just, doesn't make any sense, Leslie, no. does it? It's mm -hmm. not. I think that's why in the book we talk about it being anti-therapeutic because mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. You know, you would you wouldn't want to sit with a therapist who was judging you in that way and you know saying, "Well, that's just white women's tears." That's mm -hmm. no place for that in a therapy room, is that? It's quite extraordinary that it's being taught. And, and I mean, we discovered all sorts of um, really worrying things that were going on in the uh, clinical psychology training here in the UK. So we've got, again, just thinking about avoidance, for example, you know, and, and, and CBT would say that, you know, avoidance perpetuates anxiety. It's like mm -hmm. a loop. Mm -hmm. And the more you avoid things, the more anxious you get. Mm -hmm. So on courses now, and I'm sure this is the case in the, in the States, people of colour, students of colour are being put in separate groups. They're giving mm -hmm. little safe spaces and mm -hmm. so on, yes. which the white students don't get. The white students are expected to experience discomfort and the black students don't. Mm -hmm. And there was a one of the courses that actually will not send black students to a white rural area. They just won't send them. Wow. And I think, okay, so how is that student going to cope when they finally graduate and find themselves in a majority white country having to work with white people? They even have a choice about um, supervisors, what, you know, whether they can match the supervisors for ethnicity. Mm. I, I feel this is this is a route which is, you know, it's really troubling route to take. And, and all the time it's perpetuating anxiety. And, and I'm thinking these are clinical psychology training courses. Do they not know about the huge literature there is on avoidance? And I can't imagine how they don't know. I can't imagine how they aren't aware of what they're doing. I mean, it's and it's also like it's it's a re-education. It's it's training people to be worried about these things that maybe they came yes. in um, not really thinking very much of. 
And that's what I'm hearing from people. I mean, yeah. I also went back to school later in life. Uh, this graduate program was later for me as well. I was in my, um, I guess I was in my early forties when I started. Um, so yeah, and similar I feel experience. similar. Yeah. yeah, that's, it's really interesting that, that you yeah. had that trajectory um, as well. But I, I feel like, and I've said this before, I think that being older than the other students and I wasn't older than all of them. I was probably somewhere in the middle. And there were some young people who were just out of college and then some some other people who were in my same kind of category, re, re, um, retraining into a new career. Mm-hmm. Um, but but being in the uh, a little bit older, I think helped me to have more distance from how this has been steadily creeping into education, which I think I was kind of, I, I honestly, I was naive to that. I didn't, I, I didn't know even my own daughters who are in their twenties, um, were receiving some of this education. And I didn't realize it at the time because it wasn't on my radar. And I, in, in talking with them since my, my 24 year old, she's almost, she's almost 24, um, was taught the gender bread man, for instance, when she was in high school so yeah this has been around for longer than I even realized when we go back and we talk about it but um I uh I think that being older helped me to see it as a contrast to what I had been educated with prior yeah and what you're saying there with like taking a uh, a student of color and deliberately telling them we won't send you into that white area what does that that's a re-education it's sending a new message to that person to say you should feel afraid of this exactly it's actually perpetuating it isn't it or or, or not even maybe actually triggering it triggering they yes may have, they may not have had that thought i hate right. that word but it actually no is, yeah is no appropriate in this i know i know i hate when i feel myself using some of the language that's become so <laughs> so part of their scripts salad unfortunately yes yeah Yeah. Yeah. but yeah I I think this this really concerns me because I can't there's something there's a question about clinical competence here as well isn't there Mm -hmm. that you know that if you're going to have um trainees who finally graduate and they don't have that skill um I think um Christine's made this point hasn't she about some of the students that she was working with that they just didn't have the ability Mm -hmm to cope with some of this and you think well you're going to get microaggressions when, when you meet um i mean obviously um, clients often have really difficult circumstances they're living in and they may be really troubled and they're not going to be that careful about what they say how how are students like this going to cope with that in the real world and i think christine said that one or two of them actually left the program because they couldn't cope with uh, perceived microaggressions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it, it just feels that the courses are actually storing up trouble here mm-hmm. really um and I, I i can't imagine what these kind of activist therapists are going to be like when they actually get out into the real world whether they'll stay with it or whether they'll just go on their crusade of morally re-educating people and trying to guide people into political activism which is what it's meant to be now isn't mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. it is anymore no, it's it's activism as the first and foremost yeah. objective. And so I have two two anecdotes about uh, what you just said about students not being prepared to go out and, and um, being too sensitive or too fragile in their own lack of resilience around these issues. But I 
I had a teacher who, uh, and I, we may have talked about this when we discussed my yeah. experience previously, but I had a teacher who cried in class over questions that I was asking yeah. in a similar tone to how I'm talking right now. I wasn't badgering her in any way. I was just mm. trying to bring up concerns that I had around some of the things we were talking about. And she mm. actually broke down in tears and cried about her emotional labor that she was putting in. And I, I, and then I had an, another conversation recently with a student and I, I try to leave details out because I don't know if she wants to share that, but she brought mm. up some questions that she had around some contradictions in the, in the race and gender ideology that she was being taught in a therapy program. And the teacher responded saying that she was having um, a, a, a very somatic experience and was feeling triggered by what the student was asking and cut the student off and then reported the student to, um, to the administration in order to have her talked to uh, because she was asking the wrong sorts of questions. And I, again, I don't wanna go into the details too much because I don't wanna out this person if they don't wanna be outed, but um, it was, shocking to me because these weren't, these were the sorts of things that we're discussing right now. It wasn't something awful that the student was saying to attack. It was just recognizing contradiction and saying, what about this? How do we reconcile these things? And it was a very reasonable thing to be asking as it was related to me. Um, and so how, if these are teachers, if these are professors in psychology programs, teaching counselors, and demonstrating this lack of ability to even hear student questions. How does this relate to when you're working with a client? How, how would these people be able to show up in the therapy space? Yeah, well, they, they, they just couldn't cope, could they? There's something here about having to learn distress tolerance and mm -hmm. emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, you know, you should be able to model to your students, not to it, it, to just break down in tears because you can't cope with what your, your students saying. And I am, I am hearing this not necessarily from, um, I mean, I'm, he I'm hearing from students that this is happening on their course, but with other students, you know, in a mm. in a setting where mm. um, perhaps they're having a, a reflective discussion or something like this, mm -hmm. and somebody sort of dares to to question what somebody's saying. And all hell breaks loose, you know, and then suddenly the student finds themselves in deep trouble and wondering if they're going to be thrown off the course. And this just sounds chaotic to me, Leslie. This, this mm -hmm. is not, you know, when I did my training uh, and certainly when I was training others, it was all about modeling, mm -hmm. you know, adult behavior. It was about modeling, managing your emotions and, you know, being able to um, impart information without getting really upset if somebody says something that dis who disagreeing with you. Um, it, it's, it is extraordinary. It, it's, it feels almost like, I mean, I don't like using the word personality disorder, but doesn't it feel a little bit like that? It does. Yeah. It does. And it feels like we're trying to generate that in people. Yes. Yeah, it, and encouraging it, that, and especially encouraging. I, I don't know who's getting the worst end of it. I don't know if it's the the people who are being um, told that they're marginalized and encouraged to have these kind of continual grievances, or if it's the people who are being told that they're privileged and therefore need to suppress yeah. themselves. I don't know which side of that is actually being harmed more because it seems yeah. like it's it's sort of harmful for everybody involved. Yeah, I think that's right, Leslie. It is very harmful, and and I think that's why it was really important to get this message out to to people. 
you know, just who don't know this is going on. And mm. this is where you've been doing such a brilliant job, Leslie. And, and I know there are others as well are doing a similar thing. We just have to get this message out and try and find a way. I mean, I know Critical Therapy Antidote, I mean, we're doing our best to, to try and, and set up a kind of parallel organisation mm. where people will be able to find therapists who don't, do not practice in this mm -hmm. way. Um, but it's actually being able to warn people what to look out for, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. So that you make sure that you don't end up seeing somebody who is so troubled themselves. Um, mm -hmm. It's not therapy, is it? It really isn't therapy. No. I, I don't know quite what, what um, description to, to give to it, but it is anti-therapeutic. Yeah, it's social um, engineering. Social engineering, um, yeah. I so that you know the parallel organization i'm so grateful for for critical therapy antidote in doing this and it's such a wonderful network mm -hmm. and i i have also i guess i have these questions about how what are what are we to do with the next generation of people coming into this field who are going through trainings right now what or what are we how you, it's like you're running a gauntlet right now. If you're going into one of these programs and, and you don't agree with what they're teaching, mm -hmm. I, I felt like I could not get through it. I, I, you know, it was like the last year or so of it. I was stumbling through it one course at a time because my foot was out the door. My, I had one foot out the door because I thought, how can I continue to put, how can I patronize an institution that's doing something I find so harmful just to try to eke my way towards a piece of paper that lets me do something. And so I don't, I guess I'm trying to conceptualize what the answer is. We need some training programs that are not just, not just social uh, professional networks for mm -hmm. professionals, but we also need training programs that are not going to scar people emotionally coming out of them. And, you know, like I I'm still dealing with, I've got one foot in the door still with the, mm -hmm. the school that I've been that I was in graduate school with, I'm not completely expelled from there. And I'm negotiating through an attorney right now. What my, are they going to um, give me back my tuition funds? Are they going to grant me my degree for basically time served because I'm close to the end of it? Or are they going to issue a public apology to me and, and tell me that they will not retaliate and let me continue to, to take my, my courses and finish my degree so that's the, the kind of the crossroads where I am. And I, I don't know how that's going to end up, but um, I, I don't feel like people should have to be put through this. And I also don't feel like the training is worth the paper anymore necessarily. I'm, I have learned some good things. I really have. I, it's not all been bad. The skills classes have been great. Mm -hmm. And some of the, there've been some other courses that, that are, are very high quality, but there's this, this is, more and more becoming the overriding message is this we're training you to be an activist and we're training you to to see your role as a, a mm -hmm. social change agent for critical social justice that's right and so how do people where do we go from here yeah. we can't just tell people skip training and just yeah. go hang up a coach shingle and yeah. because then they're lacking in a lot of skills as well so what's what do you conceive of as the answer to this well i, I think Critical therapy antidote, well, I know, critical therapy antidote is, is trying to, to see whether there are ways of providing alternative traditional training mm -hmm. so that you, you can fill the gaps. I, I guess the question comes is when 
eventually this traditional training perhaps will not be taught anymore mm. um you, you really are going to need institutions that can offer that training mm -hmm. um but but certainly critical therapy antidote is is hoping to set up some trainings so that you know people who are are kind of missing uh, perhaps it could be family therapy or mm. whatever it is that you're missing cognitive behavior therapy that you will be able to get some training online from critical therapy antidote and and i have a, a sense that there may be other organizations that will pop up as time goes by in the same way as you're getting alternative universities that are popping up now um you know that there are so many people now and so many networks of people who want mm. to provide an alternative um i think that will happen i'm quite optimistic about that actually because I think that will happen and also in the same way as that you're providing solid ground aren't you um we're, we're also now um Christine is 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 sort of working on um trying to get some supervision sessions set up so that people from the CTA network can come and um you know talk about their difficulties in in dealing with these situations and and then you can kind of pull your discussion and think well how did you cope with that and, and you know try and come up with ideas about how to deal with it Maybe eventually there could be some kind of resources um, about how you might cope in certain situations, rather like counterweight um, mm -hmm. to do. I mean, mm -hmm. these are things for the future, but there's certainly things that, you know, are being thought about. So I think to go away on a note of optimism um, that there are people working really hard like yourself to try and, and provide not necessarily to be able to do anything about the, the current situation as it exists in training courses, but to provide an alternative. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the way that we have to go. Um, and that's that's something I really look forward to being able to be part of um, in the same way as you are, Leslie. I think, you know, we're part of a vanguard mm -hmm. <laughs> and there is hope for the future. You know, I mm -hmm. hope if nothing else, well, it may have been a grim discussion about CBT today, but there is hope for the future. I'm sure of it. Oh, I believe that as well. And I'm I'm glad to hear that there's a lot underway there. And it does seem like there's this, there's this impulse to help and to be a part of something that is healthy for other people and to, to generate positive results in people's lives. That is, that is undeniable. And it's something that uh, this might be a diversion in the, in the stream of therapy, but it's going to create an offshoot. That's hopefully, hopefully can find out a way to distinguish itself from what's being done to, you know, conventional therapy yes. programs and what uh, I, I I hope that this can turn into something that is really successful for clients and for professionals as well yeah absolutely Leslie mm -hmm. I hope so too and, and we'll do our best to to make it so um, and there are a lot of people coming along with us now and mm -hmm. we're growing in number and I'm I have a good feeling about it so looking into the future you're optimistic Yes, I think so. Overall, I think, yes, there are going to be challenges. There's no doubt about it. But um, I think when you get to my age, Leslie, you kind of what goes around comes around. Things change. The pendulum swings. I mean, OK, this is quite a massive upheaval that we're facing at the moment. But, um, you know, I go to various conferences. I meet a, a wide range of people who are all trying to um, not exactly swim against the tide, but trying to find ways through, you know, trying to find ways through this and solutions. And they're very clever people. Um, and I just have um, a very, you know, kind hearted people. And I just feel that because we're all pulling together, that eventually something good will come out of it. So I am optimistic. Yeah. Well, I love to hear that. 
Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> and, um, do you have any recommendations or um, links or, or things that you'd like to share with people, things that you'd like to recommend people go and see or read or places that they can find you online? Okay. Well, I think, first of all, um, I have to advertise this. Yes. <laughs> do go, please, if, if you've enjoyed this discussion today, do please go and get a copy of um, Cynical Therapies. And it's available in an ebook and it's available in a paperback. And I think you'll enjoy it because it, it's got 19 authors writing from all sorts of different perspectives, Jungian, psychoanalytic, cognitive behavioural, you know, all sorts of social psychology. It's it's excellent. So there's something in it for everybody. Um, and if you're interested in how critical social justice works and its worldview and and also seeing it analysed from a psychological perspective um, and see how it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Do have a look at that. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, um, I'm also involved as far I obviously critical therapy antidote. So at ther at therapy antidote um, on Twitter. Um, I'm also uh, part of an organisation called Don't Divide Us here in the UK, um, which is uh, campaigning for um, you know, tr trying to um, deal with the problems that are in education at the moment particularly schools what what children are being taught uh we're concerned about the re-racializing of society in particular but also gender ideology and so um i'm on the advisory council of don't divide us so um so if you look up don't divide us um i think it's don't divide us.com we have a petition going at the moment um to try and get the government to um, address the problem of third party providers coming into schools and mm. teaching on gender ideology and also on racism or anti-racism. So uh, there's a petition going, but actually that's only for people in the UK. But um, yes, yeah, so don't divide us, critical therapy antidote. Those are the two things and the book. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll make sure those links are, are below the video. Thank you, Leslie. I much appreciate that. Yeah, it's thank been you. so lovely talking to you. Thank you, you for giving oh. me the time to talk to you. Thank you, Carol. I really appreciate you making the time and, yeah. and for sharing with me and with the people who will watch this. So Not at all. Not yeah. at all. I hope they enjoy it and maybe find out a little bit more about epistemic violence. If you... uh, which is kind of a wild uh, phrase. <laughs> uh, Very yeah. well. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. I hope you get to do some more cake baking and gardening despite. Thank you, Leslie. Despite the, the bigger yeah. mission. And you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye-bye then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.